When someone begins to question their faith, the last thing church leaders want to do is say the wrong thing or handle it in a way that will further push them away. With so many historical concerns or doctrinal questions, what is a leader supposed to do? I'm happy to report that Leading Saints is here to help with the Questioning Saints Library. This is a full library of 20 plus presentations related to how to minister to an individual who is questioning their faith. We cover topics like how to answer tough questions, maintaining relationships when someone leaves the church, and how to embrace doctrinal ambiguity. If you want to review all the sessions from the Questioning Saints Library at no cost for 14 days, simply go to leadingsaints.org 14. That's leadingsaints.org 14. While you're at it, we'll give you access to all of our virtual libraries that cover several leadership-related topics. So click the link in the show notes or simply visit leadingsaints.org 14. Before we jump into the content of this episode, I kind of feel it's important that I introduce myself. Now, many of you have been around a long time. You're well familiar with my voice and with Leading Saints as an organization. But if you're not, well, my name is Kurt Frankum, and I am the Executive Director of Leading Saints and the podcast host. Now, Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through, well, content creation like this podcast and many other resources at leadingsaints.org. And uh, we don't act like we have all the answers or uh, know exactly what a leader should do or not do, but we like to explore the concepts of leadership, the science of leadership, what people are researching about leadership, and see how we can apply them to a Latter-day Saint world. So here we go. Today, I'm in, in the home of Dave Durfee. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Thank you, Kurt. Yeah, nice this, to have you here. Yeah, this is a, I got to just briefly tell <laughs> how I how I got here because it was, it's been a journey. It was uh, a few years ago, my brother sent me a random YouTube link of you talking about the doctrine of repentance or something. I'm like, wow, this guy, this guy seems to know what he's talking about. <laughs> and I scoured the internet for your contact. I knew you'd been in church education, but you're now retired. So there wasn't like an obvious place to find you there. And to the point where I finally just gave up, like, well, if the Lord needs to put Dave, David in my path, he'll do that. Uh, but I, I don't know what else to do. And then <laughs> just a few weeks ago, I show up at a, uh, a char- charity golf scramble, and you're in my group. You're yeah. my foursome. Yeah, that and was I said, fun. You, you, I found you. There yeah, you are. That was awesome. It was it was good to meet you and fun to play golf with you. Yeah, and then it was so ironic that like I got home from the golf tournament, and your son had emailed me and said, "Hey, you should really, you should really interview my dad." And I'm like, "Where have you people been?" You know. Yeah, so. that's that's funny how that all happened at once. Yeah, and uh, my son really has enjoyed your podcast, and so have I, and. Nice. Uh, that was interesting, and he emailed me, and he said, "Hey, I, I just giving you a heads up that I uh, I've been listening to this podcast for quite a while, and I really <laughs> like it. And Kurt seems like a really good guy, and so I emailed him and told him that he should have you on his podcast. And I said, uh, Kurt, Kurt Frankum, and he said, Yeah. And I said, I just golfed with him. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, the planets finally aligned, and I guess it was meant to be for 2022, and not uh, 2020 or whatever. It I was, guess. So. Um, now um, you are. Oh, what was I going to say? The um, oh, you're you're a fellow podcaster yourself. How long have you been doing that? Yeah, no, that's that's something that came up because of a nephew of mine who was invited to teach a stake institute class at BYU for a BYU stake, and uh, he happens to be a recovering alcoholic. Hmm. 
and a stake president who knew of him asked him to to teach their stake institute class and to do a repentance and forgiveness class like the one that I had designed and taught at at uh, Utah Valley Institute of Religion and uh, to kind of uh, help members of his stake overcome addictions and teach addiction recovery along with the doctrine of the gospel. So he came to me, and uh, we, I helped him kind of put together a syllabus and an outline, and he's, he's had a lot of success teaching that class. And one day we were talking, and we both kind of said, you know, maybe we should do a podcast on this. Nice. So it's kind of a, a podcast on the course that I taught, and uh, we're just doing it. I think mostly my motivation, uh, Kurt, was to have a digital record for my family hmm. of a course that I taught for many years that uh, priesthood leaders had kind of invited me to put together. And and um, as a result, it's it's been really a, a blessing in my life, and I hope it is in theirs. Yeah. Now, uh, long career in church education? Yeah. I retired a few years ago from uh, S&I, Seminaries and Institutes, after 39 years of teaching seminary for 12 years, then being in administrative and institute assignments. I was the uh, taught uh, 12 years in American Forks in the seminary and then went back to the Midwest and was the uh, uh, area director back in the Midwest uh, and was there for 13 years. Then I came back here and ended my career being uh, the institute director at Utah Valley. Nice. Now, uh, we're, we're going to talk about the, the concept and the doctrine of repentance and uh, and forgiveness and, and all those things. You know, we'll just do that quickly in an hour, no problem. Uh, you know. But um, and it ties into the Elder Henderson's recent book, The Divine Gift of, of Forgiveness. And uh, and that sort of connects with the course that you developed at Utah Valley University. So let, let, where does that story begin? Maybe un, unpack that one. Yes. Yeah, so he he actually came to the Institute This is Elder day. Anderson, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. He was actually showing his daughter uh, and his granddaughter around the campus. His granddaughter wanted to go to school there. And it happened to be on a, on a Monday afternoon, evening, and I was in the, in the building. And it was kind of interesting how I came around the corner, and there's Elder Anderson. And he's, uh, he's got a ambassador of Utah Valley student ambassador showing him around the campus. Uh, Elder Anderson, his wife Kathy, their daughter and granddaughter. And this ambassador recognized me and, oh, Brother Durfee, and introduced us. Uh, and told Elder Anderson, this is Brother Durfee, and he's the institute director, and he taught me a class a few years ago on repentance and forgiveness, and it changed my life forever. Hmm. What and a that, compliment. That's great. And Elder Anderson looked at me, and he says, you teach a class on repentance and forgiveness? <laughs> and I started to kind of back up, put my hands up, and kind of back away, you know. Because that's I, not like the traditional, like it's not in the no, no, curriculum. It, it no, wasn't even right, at it the was. time. Yeah. You know, I had designed the course. I had received approval. And so I'm kind of telling yeah. him this, apologizing. Yeah. He went through the yeah, know, I said, road, Elder right? Anderson, I, I got approval to teach it. You know, I kind of, I was invited <laughs> by priesthood leaders. They were looking for some help to help students uh, to repent. And so I designed the course, and I got approval from Salt Lake to teach it. Yeah kind of apologizing, and uh, he said, oh, that's that's really interesting. Um, I'm working on a project. Will you send me all your stuff? <laughs> and 
I said, is there a, is there a, a, a deadline on this? And he said, within a few weeks. So I sent him all my stuff, carefully edited, you know. <laughs> you reviewed it one more time. Make sure those references are locked yeah, in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, he emailed me back and wanted to see me in his office. And uh, long story short, uh, we, we started to meet regularly. He had had an impression and a desire to, to write a book on repentance and forgiveness. He, he knew the title. He had known the title for several years, that it would be called The Divine Gift of Forgiveness. And so we kind of followed that outline, worked together. Um, you know, I have a fingerprint on some of the chapters, and, and it was just a really sweet experience for me. Occurred a blessing to uh, meet with him, get to know him, uh, not only as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, but as a friend. Yeah. So a real rich experience for for me, for yeah. a lifetime experience, really. And even from there, this uh, the, the some of your uh, information from your course that you developed has now become sort of a standard institute course. Yeah, right? it's it's uh, it's amazing that that has become a a approved worldwide institute course. It's now on the LDS library and on mm-hmm. the on the uh, app LDS app. So it's it's sweet that that course is now going around the world, and that Elder Anderson's book is the student manual, and uh, there's plans to trans. It's already been translated in multiple languages, and will be translated in more languages. So it's become a worldwide course, and it's and it's a popular course, yeah. and it's not because of anything I did. It's just so needed right now, Kurt. Yeah. There's just such a desire and need for members of the church young and old really to to know how to access the power of jesus christ through his atonement and why do you think i mean that almost seems like a an obvious question but why do you think people are so intrigued by this concept of repentance and forgiveness and you know in the context of our faith tradition well uh great question and i don't know that i have a great answer but one reason is because there's just so much sin Hmm. There's just so many challenges. The, the, the church, the world, our country has become so fragmented. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, it seems as though uh, we're more prosperous and, let we, and yet we have less peace. Uh, there's so much turmoil and conflict uh, individually and collectively. Uh, there's just such a need for it. And, and it's obvious if you listen to the brethren that they recognize that need too, and the Lord has impressed that upon them that uh, we all need to learn how to repent, which is how we access Christ and His atonement in our life. We need to know what that means and what it doesn't mean. Yeah. And the brethren are, are teaching it more, and the Elder Anderson, when, he, when we got together, it was an 18-month project for us to work together on that and the timing was perfect because president nelson just the time we started to really work on it is when he started to talk about it yeah about the joy of repentance and daily repentance and what it is so it's uh it's just uh, there's a need yeah and so i mean how would you describe like what is repentance i mean where does it all begin for uh our you know being a latter-day saint and, and being a follower of christ 
Well, I think the the easiest way to describe what it is is to describe what it's not. Hmm. Love it. You have to start with what it's not. And what it's not is it is not the punishment, penalty, or payment for sin. Hmm. And unfortunately, that's been a misconception, not only in our church, but other Christian churches as well. It's, uh, there's history to this that goes way back uh, to the Inquisitions hmm. when the word repent, which really was metaneho in the Greek, uh, it, which meant to, to change, right? To turn around in the Hebrew, the word means to turn around. In the Greek, it means to change, metamorphosis. Uh, but it got translated into the Latin Vulgate, and it meant to punish. Hmm. The word literally meant to punish. And therefore, early on in the Catholic Church, uh, confessions were about payment and punishment. Hmm. And that that creeped into other Christian faiths and religions, and and even to ours to some extent in sure. the, in the early history of of the restoration and and others that that we felt that maybe individuals needed to be punished for their sins that uh, repentance was suffering well as elder anderson states in the book and as others have stated repentance is not that now there may be suffering in the process of repentance yeah, but it hurts that's not right? yeah it hurts sometimes <laughs> yeah you know it's it's not it's not comfortable to have a broken heart and contrite spirit which are the conditions of repentance it's not fun to feel godly sorrow yeah and there's some pain in that but that's not repentance yeah we don't have to stimulate that that, that hurt in order for some like the process to move forward exactly it's yeah. like the analogy that's used in elder anderson's book if I find out that I have cancer and that re- it's required that surgery will need to take place in order to remove the cancer, there's going to be some pain in that, right? Mm-hmm. But who's who's really the cause of the pain or what is the cause of the pain? The doctor? Is the hospital? What's the cause of the pain? The cause of the pain is the cancer, and in the case of repentance, the cause of the pain or suffering is the sin, not mm. the repentance. Yeah. In fact, it's interesting in Doctrine and Covenants, section 19, verse 4, it says, uh, you, if you don't repent, you'll suffer. In other words, repentance is just the opposite of suffering. Repentance relieves the suffering. Repentance may require surgery, but repentance is not the cause of the suffering it's the sin or the cancer that is the cause of the suffering and i just think it's really important for members and priesthood leaders to keep that in mind yeah no priesthood leader or parent should see repentance as inflicting punishment or pay or requiring payment or inflicting pain on an individual in order for them to repent that's the natural consequences of sin. So as Elder Anderson writes in the book, we know 
that if you don't repent, you will suffer. But you can't suffer for the sin. Jesus has already done that. Mm -hmm. You will suffer because of the sin. All suffering, in repentance or no repentance, you may suffer, but sin is the cause. Yeah. I think that perspective is really needed to know what repentance is and to know what it's not. So repentance is not the punishment, payment, or penalty of sin. Repentance is not a checklist. Repentance is not a change of behavior. Now, when I used to teach that to my students, you got to—you can imagine. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah you, you can imagine the looks I got. And it's not. Hey, atheists can change their behaviors. Yeah. And that's not repentance. Repentance is has to be through the atonement of Jesus Christ. It's only redemptive if it is through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Repentance is more than conforming, it's more than performing, it's being transformed through the atonement of Jesus Christ. It's not just a change of behavior, it's a change of mind, it's a change of heart. So that, yeah. you know, that's kind of the difference between what it is and, and what it's not. And that's the tricky part is that it's hard to get out the measuring stick and measure, okay, how much has your heart changed this week, your countenance, or these, but it's like, hey, well, you stopped doing that thing. Like, your behavior changed, so you must be repenting. Well, that's great, but it's that's sort of this uh, fall, the, a trap there that we can step in if we're just only measuring the change of behavior and putting it up next to, oh, repentance must be happening. No, that, that's, that's so true, yeah. yeah, and we struggle with that in the church. I just spoke to somebody last week who was speaking about an individual, you know, who lost their memory membership in the church, but who was keeping all the commandments, and now they've gone back and they, they're, they're participating in all the church ordinances and covenants, and yet, according to at least this individual, you know, who, who suffered abuse at, at this uh, perpetrator's hands, hmm. is not seeing that there has been a transformation of heart and mind. And um, I just think it's really important to know that, that repentance is not, here's yeah. another not, that repentance is not through the church. Hmm. Now, the church can help. They can help us through the repentance process, and confession may be required in the case of certain serious sins to help us not only to be accountable, but to help the church to protect uh, innocent uh, victims of sin and to help protect the integrity of the name of the church. But repentance is not, and forgiveness is not, through the church. It is through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Uh, Elder Bednar tells the story, it's in, the, it's in Elder Anderson's book, and he footnotes it. It's a personal conversation with Elder, Elder Bednar. But Elder Bednar just tells the story that when he was president of BYU-Idaho, a girl, uh, or not a girl, a bishop, re reported to him that a girl had come in this past weekend on a Sunday and confessed that she had lost her virtue. And she, after she confessed, she stood up and she said to the bishop, well, this was the last thing on my list, and I feel so much better now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Elder Bednar says, that's not repentance. Hmm. 
confession is not repentance. So repentance is not confession. There's just so many things that repentance is not yeah. that I think members of the church have become confused thinking that that's what repentance is. Yeah. So when you say repentance is not through the church, I mean, because if we look at it, I'm like, well, no, I go to the church and I meet with the bishop, you know, on some of those things. It sure feels like it's a church thing. So what do you, how else can you uh, unfold that? I, I know that uh, most of my students, and I reported this to Elder Anderson, and it it was um, an interesting discussion, and I know he was he was kind of saddened as, as I reported what I observed. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not a criticism. It's not really a judgment on my part. It's what I heard and observed from my students. And what they reported to me was that repentance, as they perceived it, and as it was probably taught to them, was they at least saw it as though it were an institutional activity, that repentance was institutionalized and it was through the church. That's not repentance. Now, I, I again know because we emphasize confession and because we have uh, councils of membership in this church mm-hmm. and because we have uh, priesthood leaders with priesthood keys who represent the Lord and, and trying to protect the sacred nature of ordinances and covenants, I, I get that. I get why, why the church needs to be involved. And... Priesthood leaders can be great counselors and and great strength and mentors through the repentance process. But ultimately, repentance is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is not just turning from sin or confessing sin. Repentance is turning to Jesus Christ and beginning to live a Christ-like life. That's what repentance is. So... I, I just, uh, there's lots of misconceptions. Uh, I know that when uh, I was working on this in my PowerPoint, which I, I don't think Elder Anderson liked this PowerPoint very much, <laughs> I, I, called the, I called these the myths of repentance. Okay. You know, that this is what repentance is not. These are the myths. And uh, that was a little harsh for him. So I know that there's a chapter in the book, and it's calling it the myths of repentance, that chapter is uh, titled "The Detours." Oh, nice! Of repentance. A little softer word. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The detours that keep us from repenting. So let me back up a little bit. As far as the, you know, I love this concept. You know, the the surgery example that Elder Anderson uses, and that sin hurts, not repentance. And and I think that that's sort of this misconception we have of like, oh boy, like I am. I've got to repent for this, or I got to go to see the bishop. Like oh, this isn't going to be fun. This is going to hurt, right? Yeah. Um, right. When in reality, if if you don't take those steps and sin perpetuates, just like cancer, like you think cancer hurts now, wait yeah. till you let it persist. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and and it grows and and really gets awful, right? Right. And so, is there anything we could do or articulate, or if you're talking to a youth group or not, how do we shift this feeling of like because there's so much shame in this process at times and i think that's the adversary's strongest tool is that shame because it attacks the identity Um, anything we could do to to help this repentance process like to perpetuate that this isn't meant to hurt it's meant to provide hope and begin steps out of it well i think the most important uh the most important way to do that Kurt, is to really understand the atonement of Jesus Christ 
and what Jesus Christ really did for us. Mm-hmm. To really understand uh, the powers of the atonement of Jesus Christ, the the redemptive power, the enabling power, the compensatory powers through Christ and His atoning sacrifice. When an individual really understands, Kurt, and so many don't, when you really understand that Jesus paid for all the consequences and sufferings and payments and penalties owed to justice, that he paid for all of that. Um, it, it kind of takes away the pressure from me, if I understand it, that I don't need to pay for it. I'm not going into the bishop to be punished for it. Mm-hmm. Jesus has already suffered it. I'm going in there to have my suffering relieved and to be healed. Is it going to hurt? It may. But it is going to connect me to Jesus Christ, and he is the only one, the only one, Kurt, who can heal me. Stopping the behavior is not going to heal the past. Mm -hmm. It has to be redemptive. It has to be through the blood of Christ. If we would understand the, the sacrifice of Christ and what the atonement of Jesus Christ really covered it covered and uh, what it, it it allows us to do in our lives and the healing and the powers that can flow into our life that's what needs to change and the brethren are, are teaching this yeah it's there <laughs> but for some reason the false traditions of the church and maybe even among some leaders and parents in the church Continual to continually perpetuate this idea mm-hmm. that that is through the church. So ultimately, the key to repentance is first understanding the fall of all mankind, the fall of Adam and Eve, and how we're all sinners, and we're never going to be free from that. Right. To really accept that, to really celebrate our humanness and our fallen nature. I used to ask my students, Kurt, how many of you have thanked God for the fall? <laughs> Doesn't I don't hear too often in, in prayers, right? <laughs> how many of you have really thanked Him that you're that you're human and that yeah. you're a, that you're a fallen sinner? Because that was part of the plan. Mm-hmm. That was the plan. We we've just got to get over ourselves and our self righteousness. You know, we're, we're all fallen. We're all sinners. That's exactly why we need Jesus, right? That is the key to repentance. Yeah. yeah. If you don't understand the fall, you don't understand your need for a redeemer. Yeah. So sometimes we miss that 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 part of the process. Yeah. An individual needs to understand their ultimate, total, absolute need for a redeemer. And I just want to sort of tie this to a concept that maybe doesn't feel as related in our they're in the handbooks and in instruction with teaching and whatnot, we're constantly come back to, we need to make sure we teach doctrine at church. Right. And, and I think we, and I, and I can, I swear every five episodes I'm, I'm harping on this or articulating somehow, but we always think like, well, what that means is that we just need to talk about stuff that is true. So tithing <laughs> is doctrine. So let's talk about tithing or, uh, you know, uh, temple work, you know, we should, let's talk about temples, but if we don't connect it, to the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Like they're just things, they're just concepts. And so to me, this is like, you know, when we, how do we shift this from 
repentance being a positive thing we need that's the doctrine is as we impact the doctrine that it is redemptive it can't just be a, a laundry list of truths those truths have to be connected to like wow you mean even myself this mortal broken person can be redeemed and then as we do that we just we beg for repentance and forgiveness and, mm. it, and we love it amen amen kurt so boyd k packer many years ago just to paraphrase said the root of christian doctrine the root is the atonement of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the root of Christian doctrine. And any doctrine or teaching in the church that does not touch that root will die. It's dead. Mm-hmm. And so many times in the church, we're, we're dealing with the leaves and the branches, Yeah, but we never get to the root. And I've 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 learned through my thirty nine years of teaching, and and being a parent, and in my own personal life and experience trying to live the gospel, and repent daily, that any any doctrine, any principle, any commandment, any teaching in the church, if it doesn't if it doesn't touch the atonement of Jesus Christ, it's dead. Hmm. Or it will die. <laughs> yeah. yeah <I> it. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of interesting, Kurt, that in, in the scriptures, I made, a, I made a real search of this. In the scriptures, there's only one doctrine. If the word doctrines, plural, is used in the scriptures, every time it's negative. Oh, really? Doctrines of men. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or right. doctrines of devils. But in the scriptures, as the prophets use the word, there's only one doctrine, and it is the doctrine of Christ, which includes his atoning sacrifice and the principles of faith, repentance, baptism, the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end. Those are the principles that make up the only one doctrine, which is the doctrine of Christ. Yeah. I love it. And we have to make sure that that doctrine shows up every week. Cause, yes, in everything yeah. that we teach, even yeah. in our homes, Kurt. Yeah. Amen. I, I, one of the most powerful experiences of my life was when I was serving as a branch president. I was a, a young father at the Missionary Training Center. I was in my 30s. And President Packer came to the missionaries at the MTC and told them, you're not going to be judged by how many baptisms you have. Your success will be determined by what kind of parents and grandparents you become. And he said, on that point, I have some counsel for you. <laughs> no pads are coming out. Yeah, this was, this was powerful. <laughs> he was really strong when he, as he always was. But, man, this left an impression on me. I'll never forget it. He, he said, I have some counsel for you. We are now living in a world that is now more wicked than it is righteous. And you're going to raise your children in that environment. If you don't do a better job teaching the atonement of Jesus Christ than you do teaching the commandments, you're going to lose your children because hmm. they're not going to keep all the commandments. Mm-hmm. I, I, that, that was galvanized in my mind, and I have, I have seen the wisdom and the truth of that. If we don't spend more time in the church and in our homes focusing on the atonement of Jesus Christ, centering all our teachings in that, then we're going to lose members, and we may even lose our own children. Yeah, yeah, and and the the, the power it has to 
I mean, just gravitates people to Jesus as you understand that redemptive quality of it all. You know, there's no, nobody else I want to be with than Jesus Christ if he has such power and such love for me that he can fix me as a broken mortal, you know? It's the center. It should be the center of everything that we teach and everything that we do. In fact, I went with Elder Anderson to a meeting with all the young uh, single adult stake presidents in Utah Valley. Mm-hmm. We were dedicating our building. We'd invited all the stake presidents of young adults to come to our building at the Utah Valley Institute. And uh, so all the stake presidents and their wives are there, and Elder Anderson is teaching them, and I'm there. And and he asked them if they have any questions. And one stake president raises his hand and says, we're seeing a lot of them who are losing their faith, who are kind of falling away, who are, who are struggling, who are leaving because of sin or whatever. Uh, can, can you give us some counsel on that? And I, I'll never forget Elder Anderson's answer. Will you just help them focus on Jesus Christ? <laughs> Yeah, right, right, and it's because we want some formula or tactic or like teach them these three things. It's like no, just it's just Jesus. Like he is the answer. That is it, Kurt. Yeah, he, you know, that is the one thing that's needful. That he told Martha. He was kind of you know, I, I wouldn't say he's chastising her, but he's teaching her. When Martha's saying, "Will you, will you kind of get Mary to come and help me serve?" And 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 the scripture records that Martha was encumbered, which in the Greek means distracted Mm -hmm. by many things. And Jesus says, "Oh, Martha, Martha, yeah, yeah, only one thing is needful." Yeah. And for many years, I've I've pondered and wondered, what's that one needful thing? And I, I, I believe today, I've concluded that it's it's just to know Jesus Christ, to yeah. know Him, to know His atonement, to focus all of our thoughts and our intents upon Jesus Christ and His atonement. Yeah, and I think one emphasis I want to put there in the leadership context is that. That doesn't mean it's going to lead to a decrease in confessions. It most likely will in- lead to an increase of confessions as you point people to Jesus Christ, because that is what Jesus does for us. He brings the sin out of us, and we want to get rid of it, right? And so, or it could lead to, uh, you know, an increase of tough questions or whatnot. As people get to know Jesus, they there's that intrigue, and, and they're engaging with the gospel more and more rather than thinking, man, my, why are my why am I getting busier? This this is a problem we must be fixed. I no, that means that the, the gospel is working in in the lives of individuals. And I was talking with a bishop uh, a few months ago, and he brought up. He's like, you know, I know pornography is a really big issue, but I don't see it a lot in my ward. And that's like, wait a minute, like that that's maybe a good time to step back, <laughs> reflect, and say, how can we better articulate Jesus? Because I guarantee you half the elders quorum like a good chunk of the relief society like there that this sin is out there it, it's it's just ubiquitous and so if you're seeing that decrease in confessions that doesn't mean you're doing necessarily a good job yeah oh, it may not increase confessions as you as you put it kurt but uh it may but i know what it will do if if we focus repentance and forgiveness and center that in Jesus Christ, what it will do is that it will change a person's motive. Mm, yeah, It changes their motivation, mm-hmm. why they're seeing their bishop. 
it's to go in and to to be seeking help and inquiring not just to blurt out our sins yeah. but how can i how can what can the church and the priesthood do for me to help me to have a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and i believe priesthood keys ordinances and covenants are a, are a really important part of that yeah yeah so i want to ask you know it, just a, maybe a more uh, practical answer as far as because I feel like there's leaders out there saying no we we focus on Jesus like we're doing it you know we do the come follow me lessons we're doing the conference talks in Elders Quorum Relief Society like is there anything else you'd say that as far as how that really looks to focus on Jesus and His re- redemptive powers? Like well, on, on Sunday or yeah, as no, a leader? A- yeah, absolutely, great question, and I've I've had a lot of thoughts about this, and it and it. Um, Immediately, my mind goes to Doctrine and Covenants, section six, uh, the last the last few verses of Doctrine and Covenants, section six, and maybe I can just turn yep. there, real quick and read it. We can edit out your page turning if you need <laughs> to take a minute to find it. <laughs> it's right here. Uh, this is what the the Lord says. I'm, I'll start with thirty four. Therefore, fear not, little flock. Do good. Let earth and hell combine against you, for if ye are built upon my rock, they cannot prevail. Behold, I do not condemn you. Go your ways and sin no more. You know, that's what he said to the adulterous woman. Yeah. Now, if Jesus can't condemn her, he's not going to condemn me or you or... Uh, I, I, and maybe our sins are even worse than hers, but he's, there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ or in the repentance process. Mm -hmm. There's no condemnation. There's no shame. Uh, Perform with soberness the work which I have commanded you. Now get this. This is amazing to me. I've really wrestled with this verse for many years. Look unto me in every thought. Doubt not, fear not. Is that even possible, Kurt? (laughs) That's a tall order. <laughs> Can we look to him in every thought? How do we do that? Yeah. I, I've experimented with it, and I, I think everyone should experiment with it. To really try to focus more on Jesus Christ. And then when we when we do look to him, or where when the scriptures invite us to come unto me, when he personally invites us to come unto me, by the way, that's twenty-six times in the Book of Mormon. Oh, nice. Come unto me. Where is he? I, I used to ask my students, so wh- where is he? When <laughs> yeah. he says, Come unto me, where do you picture him? And they would say, The temple. And I'd say, Okay, that's awesome. That's sweet. Uh some would say, In heaven. Yeah, that's good. And some would say, uh, um, on a mountain. In the meadow, uh-huh. you know, they'd give me all these places where they, they can picture Jesus and where they'd like to go to him. And I would say, well, if, you, if we finish this, this section of Scripture in verse 6, and he commands us to look unto him in every thought, listen to this, this last verse. Behold the wounds hmm. which pierced my side, and also the prints of the nails in my hands and feet. So what does he what does he want us to look at and where is he when he invites us to come unto me? In the wounds? 
Or <laughs> he's in Gethsemane. Oh, he's right. Yeah, he's uh-huh. on the cross. Yeah. When he says, "Come unto me," he wants us to come and observe, to see with an eye of faith. You know his suffering, the price. Yes. The price of our redemption. That's what he wants us to see, and that's what he wants us to focus on. And so, you know, we can talk a lot about Jesus. We can spend a lot of time talking about Jesus, and it's all good. Mm -hmm. We can talk about the stories of Jesus and the parables of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus, and we can talk about Christmas and celebrate it all we want. But unless we really focus on his last week, even his last uh, 24 hours, and the price that he paid, and then his death and the resurrection and the redemption that he made. I mean, it it has to be that laser focused. Yeah, it can't just be on Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It has to. A lot of people believe in Jesus. Muslims believe in Jesus. Yeah, he's a great prophet. Great right? prophet. Great teaching. Said some awesome things. Wow, <laughs> he was so yeah. wise. Yeah, but until you see him as a, a redeem as a redeemer and a savior and you're converted unto him and you really experience the the atonement of jesus christ in your mm-hmm. life and that is centered in your all of your teachings and and your behaviors and in the ordinances that you participate in i mean some people go through the temple and i don't i, I think they they get lost in the fall while they're in the temple mm. And and the only reason that's even brought up in the in the temple endowment is so that they'll focus on the atonement and mm-hmm. the need for an atonement and a savior. And it's kind of interesting, frankly, in in the temple. You know how how we are invited to focus and uh, as he tells us here to behold the wounds. Yeah. You know, uh, really the, I the love la- that. That's what yeah. we should be focused on. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, Professor John Hilton's recent book called Considering the Cross. And what I love by that is he just, like, it's almost like a tour. He just takes your hand and goes through the life of Jesus about, mm. or not the life, the last week of Jesus, the his suffering, the the atonement, the cross, and these things. And, it, and just like being mentally present in that space, I just am drawn to Jesus and I want and, and and I feel his redemption and p- projecting that on like church leaders. Sometimes we feel like oh, I'm the spiritual pearl officer. All right. How many slip ups this week? And you know, all right, no or restriction of this ordinance and that ordinance or the sacrament or when in reality, if we could just take them to the cross and say, just sit here with me a while and behold Jesus, behold his wounds and let, let Jesus do the rest of the work. Like there's nothing more we need to do other than to take and encourage him towards that space. Right. That that is the absolute uh, key to repenting and ultimately forgiving ourselves, yeah, and others, yeah, and receiving forgiveness in our lives. Uh, so many people have a hard time forgiving themselves, yeah, that's a... because they they feel like they have to suffer for their sins. They don't understand the atonement of Jesus Christ. So many people can't forgive others because they don't understand the atonement of Jesus Christ. So, you know, we don't have time today, but I think it's a really critical part of repentance is the forgiving 
part of repentance where we need to forgive ourselves. If Jesus isn't going to condemn me, who am I to condemn me? <laughs> if Jesus paid for all of my sins and he won't condemn me, how can I for, how can I condemn me? We can't condemn anyone, Kurt, including ourselves. If Jesus, who suffered for all of it, paid the price for all of it, if he can't condemn us, we can't condemn ourselves. Yeah, isn't it interesting? Um, that it's almost like this uh, different form of pride, right? We sometimes think of pride as like a, this person who thinks he's better than everybody. But in a sense, when we when we think we can't get forgiveness, it it's sort of this pride of like, oh, he can't. I'm different. He can't save me. And so we have to work through that or help others work through that. Yeah. And not only is it that, oh, he might save everybody else, but but he's not going to save me. I'm too bad for him to save me. Uh But it is a sense of pride when we get to a point, and I understand this because I went through this. Hmm. This was my mission when I was a young man trying to repent of my sins in order to qualify to to go on a mission Hmm. and knowing that I wasn't worthy. And I went. I I finally was worthy enough to go on my mission, and I worked my gut out guts out because I thought I I had to to pay for my sins. Mm, right. And it wasn't until about halfway through my mission that I figured out through through really about the fifth reading of the Book of Mormon for me that Jesus Christ was my redeemer, and I could merit nothing of myself. I had no merits. Yeah. I was meritless. <laughs> there was no works. There was not enough good. There was not enough suffering that I could suffer to pay for one millionth of one percent of any sin I ever committed. Jesus suffered for all the sins of all the world. Actually, I actually remember a discussion I had with Elder Anderson about that. And we were talking about the scripture in Doctrine and Covenants, section 19. Where it says, if you don't repent, mm-hmm. you'll suffer. Even as I, right? Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But it doesn't say you'll suffer for your sins, right? Yeah. It says you'll suffer. And, and actually, in, in his book, which I have a copy of right here, in his, in his book, this is one of my favorite lines in Elder Anderson's book, um, The Divine Gift of Forgiveness. Elder Anderson writes, We have no ability to pay for our own sins. Repentance is exactly the opposite of punishment. Repentance relieves the guilt and pain and suffering caused by sin. Jesus Christ paid for all the sins of all the world. That is like a dozen times in the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants. All the sins of all the world. Now, I remember him and I having a discussion saying, okay, if Jesus paid for all the sins of all the world, and I, I, I think I actually asked him, Does that include the sins not repented of? Did he suffer for all the sins not repented of? Hmm. And the answer is yes, and Elder Holland has said that too. Yes, even those who don't repent, he suffered for them. Now, they may not receive it, and it may not be efficacious in their redemption, but he's got them covered. But they're covered. Yep. He paid the price. Yep. So no loving God would ever demand a double payment yeah. <laughs> to satisfy the demands of justice, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And Elder Anderson continues, Our repentance does not pay for one ounce of the sins we have committed. The atonement of Jesus Christ fulfilled all the demands of justice 
perfectly and exactly. Our attention must be on him and our appreciation for his suffering. Hmm. If we worry, this is really key. If we worry, and I, there's so many members who are doing this right now. Yeah who are anxious and fearful and worrying. If we worry whether we have paid back or suffered enough for our sins, it will impede our ability to repent and feel forgiven, bringing painful discouragement with it. Wow. It's true. I've been that guy. You know, I have too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's go to the, talk to the, the bishop, maybe a brand new bishop. Someone comes in, sets an appointment, and this confession, they feel, you know, this need to confess and go to their bishop. Like, what? what is the, from your opinion, what is the bishop doing there? Like, why? And what, what, how would you coach a bishop as, as a judge in Israel sitting in that room? Well, the, the bishop's role, now he does have priesthood keys, mm-hmm. he does represent the Lord, and he, he needs to protect, right? Innocent victims, the integrity of the church, but he's he's focused on the individual, and his number one concern is how can I help this individual come unto Christ? That should be his number one priority and concern is how can I help them see with an eye of faith the atonement of Jesus Christ and the power of healing that is available to them through Christ. How can I help them to see that? Hmm. And and that's by asking questions, by asking by asking about their relationship with Jesus Christ. The whole focus should be about Jesus Christ and his atonement. Once once the confession's out and they believe that it's been uh, open and honest and complete, then the whole focus should be how can I uh, get Jesus Christ and center my life and my thoughts and my heart on Jesus Christ and his atonement. That's the role of a priesthood leader. He's the shepherd. Yeah. He's the shepherd, the under shepherd to get them to follow the ultimate shepherd and the the only individual who can forgive any of us of, of sin. And, and and when we talk about repentance and forgiveness, uh, Kurt, it's really important, as Elder Oaks and others have taught, that we're not only seeking to be cleansed or forgiven of sin, we should also be seeking for healing and strengthening power, enabling power of the atonement of Jesus Christ in our life. And, and a bishop should help an individual with all of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really helpful. And, and again, it's easy. I remember my time as a bishop, I'd sort of default to behaviors like, well, how's that internet filter? Uh, why don't you text me? Or, you know, you hyper-focus on on behaviors. And to me, that it should be such a relief to hear, you don't got to do that. Let's just talk about Jesus. You know, let's get out the scriptures. Let's pull out the app, pull out the, the 14-week lessons on the divine gift of forgiveness, and, and let's go through them. Let's just talk about the remarkable, I mean, I, like, I love the title of the book, it is, it is a gift. Like, there's nothing you have to do to earn it. You're here. Let's enjoy it together. Well, thank you. I I love what you said about the book because Elder Anderson shared with me his vision for this book, which which I know he was impressed by the Spirit to, to write and, and did a beautiful job doing it. But his vision for this was really that parents and bishops and priesthood leaders would, would use it 
to help individuals to turn to Christ. And over and over in this book, he, he repeats, there's no place in the scriptures where you can read about repentance where Christ isn't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, everywhere. It's all centered in Jesus Christ and his atonement. And if we are just dealing with behaviors, that's, that's not redemptive. Yeah. It's so much more than just stopping a behavior. It's so much more than turning even from our sins. It's how do we get them to turn to Christ, and even more than that, to have a relationship with him. That's what it comes down to. And then what would you say as far as, like, again, going back to that spiritual parole officer concepts, I sometimes feel like, well, they, they've confessed. I think I have to dole out some type of restriction. So uh, four weeks, no sacrament. Or don't take the sacrament until we feel good about it. Like, what, what should we consider about just that concept of restricting ordinances? Well, uh, a, a bishop, priesthood leader, parents, teachers— we all have a really sacred role, but priesthood leaders who have keys especially, to protect the ordinances, the sacred the sacred nature of the ordinances and covenants of the gospel. I mean, it's not a bishop who said, if you, if you partake of the sacrament unworthily, you drink of damnation to your soul. Mm-hmm. That didn't come from a bishop or even a general authority. You know, that came from the Lord himself. And so a bishop is trying to protect the individuals who are maybe not there yet, who are maybe haven't, they, they've not only not t- turned to Jesus, but they haven't turned away from their sins yet. Mm-hmm. It's really important for a bishop to protect that individual, to participate in the sacred ordinances and covenants of the gospel that may hold them more accountable and and actually cause da- damnation instead of redemption. Mm-hmm. So so that's how a bishop should think of it. Mm-hmm. How can I protect this individual? Not how can I punish this individual? Because there's there's no punishment. Uh, Jesus did all that. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. Um, what about the concept of sometimes you know an individual may go through a membership council, lose their membership, and then there's this you know. Uh, we got to start talking about rebaptism or restoration of blessings, but there's, I, I've heard a lot of leaders sort of frame it like, well, what if, what if they're really not there? Like, what if they go out the next week and, and commit the same sin? And here I am as a leader, oh, man, I'm going to look foolish, you know, cause I, you know, restored, approved the restoration of blessings and, you know, they weren't fully quote unquote repentant. Right. So <laughs> like, as far as like just that process of saying, I think you're ready to come come back or get rebaptized or anything to consider there. Well, yeah. Well, ultimately, the the first presidency deter- makes that sure. determination. Yeah. So, yeah. so Rath Bat members should know nobody does that except the first presidency of the church. Mm-hmm. And and even then, an individual may turn back to their sins, mm-hmm. like a dog turns back to their vomit. I mean, I mean that can happen, right? But that it's that's not the role of the priesthood leader. The role of the priesthood leader is to help teach this individual how they can access the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ, not just now and for the past, but especially for the future. So I, I really love the idea that is expressed in the scriptures, I think, three times. The, the phrase is, speedily repent. I think it's wrong to think of repentance as being an ongoing, drawn-out, 
long process of torment and okay now with certain serious sins that may be the case it may take some time for addiction recovery to to, to really or take you effect. You may need to go through prison for a few years, you know, depending. E- exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So sometimes it takes time. Yeah. But I really love the idea that we can speedily repent. And you know, I've had the experience in in priesthood leadership responsibilities, Kurt of knowing having a membership council knowing that an individual has i have felt this through the spirit i mean we agreed as a stake presidency that this individual has probably already been forgiven of the lord Hmm. this individual has probably already repented and has been forgiven but we still need to withdraw their membership from the church why would we do that? Or why would the spirit of revelation impress that upon our minds? Because in his wake of sin, there were innocent victims. Mm-hmm. And for their sake, this could not be a stumbling block for them. Yeah. And th- it was well known in this case what had happened. It had been reported in the newspaper. In the integrity of the church and the covenants and ordinance of the church had to be protected. Um, and strong impression in this in this individual's case, he would not ever forgive himself yeah. if he if his membership in the church was was not limited. Yeah, I've seen that so many times. They just need that reset button because they don't want to look back in hindsight thinking, well, maybe they didn't do enough. Maybe right. I didn't do nothing. Like, no, we did enough. Like, it's it's over. Right? So ultimately, we yeah. we hope and pray, right, that it's the Holy Ghost and the Spirit that helps priesthood leaders and parents know how to help individuals yeah. who who are who are seeking forgiveness and repenting and seeking to access the atonement of Jesus Christ in their life. Yeah, and th- I think this is a good place in, to emphasize that. And, and maybe I should have done it earlier, but just th- at the end of the day, like. It's fun to ask these questions and consider scriptures and whatnot, but at the end of the day, it's going to be that stake president sitting with that member who's maybe going to know, right? Or, you know, it's the, that communication through the keys and authority that of the Holy Ghost and whatnot that these answers will come, right? And have faith in that and be assured in that. Um, I just hope that a lot of leaders, you know, focus on that speedily. Like, how could we get them back in these covenants right. as quickly as possible? Right. Because there is strength there. There is transformation there. And uh, the sooner we get him there, the, that transformation can, can continue. I don't think the Lord is pleased with long, drawn-out repentance. Yeah. I think he expects it to be speedily done. And I, it depends on the individual, depends mm-hmm. on where they're at in their relationship with the Savior. And it depends upon the sins, of course, and depends upon victims and so many other circumstances. But um, he encourages you know, speedily repenting. And another thing that we should touch on in in this uh, discussion, Kurt, if I can, is I, I the question I think I got more than anything else as a branch president of the Missionary Training Center, as a bishop in stake presidencies and mm-hmm. teaching this course for 10 years at Utah Valley, students would ask, students and members, how can I know when I'm forgiven? Mm. Great question. 
that's what they wanted to know more than anything else is how can I know when I'm forgiven? Mm-hmm. It's a really simple answer. Now, it's, it's not easy to identify, but it's a really simple answer. And I used to always refer to President Eyring's quote, when you feel the Holy Ghost in your life, you know the atonement is doing its work. The atonement of Jesus Christ is working in your life when you feel the Holy Ghost. I love to paraphrase Elder Christofferson when he taught that the Holy Ghost is the messenger and the administrator of the atonement of Jesus Christ in our lives. So I used to really get frustrated, and I know my students did too, when people say in the church, you just have to get the atonement in your life. You just have to apply the atonement in your life. And they get so frustrated by that. They say, how? What are yeah. you talking about? That's so abstract, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it, it we're, we're better served as leaders to help members to focus on getting the Holy Ghost in their life. Mm. It, it, it's the Holy Ghost that administers the atonement of Jesus Christ in our life. And when we're feeling it, we should know that we're being forgiven. And if we really have faith in Christ and his atonement, we don't need to know when the process is even complete. We know we're being forgiven, and that's enough. And it's an ongoing process in some cases. I mean, right? We're we're encouraged to repent daily. Mm -hmm. So if we have faith that Christ did suffer for my sins, and that through his merits I can be saved or redeemed, and that he will forgive me, maybe that's enough. Yeah. That I know that I am redeemed or I will be redeemed, and that I'm in the process. You know, I think it's not so much an event as it is a process, and the process is to really have the Holy Ghost do those things or Mm -hmm. uh, say those things and be engaged in those things where we can get the Holy Ghost in our life, where we can walk by the Spirit as Paul encourages us to do, and we can live by the Spirit. And it's ultimately the Spirit that brings us love, joy, and peace, which are the fruits of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Solid. Really helpful. Any other concept or question we need to, I mean, this is hard to do in one episode, but then that's why you have a podcast, right? So. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think another key to that course and an often a step that is skipped by priesthood leaders, parents, and individuals repenting is uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what that really means. Uh, so many, I, I know of a bishop at BYU who became really frustrated because he kept telling his young adult members about repentance. They would come in, they would confess, he would give this this discourse on repentance and what they needed to do to be forgiven, and he felt great about it, and the Spirit was there, and they would get up and leave, and they'd be back in his office two weeks later. <laughs> Yeah, And this happened over and over and over again. And he became really discouraged and frustrated and wondered what good he was even doing. And as he, as he fasted and he prayed about this, Kurt, he, 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 he said this was just that he was led to this. He, he one day read the fourth article of faith. We believe that the first four principles of the, of the, and ordinance of the gospel are first 
first, and he said that was like pulsating <laughs> off the page, first faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, second repentance. And he went, oh, oh, my word. <laughs> he skipped it. <laughs> I, I'm teaching repentance before I teach faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So many members are trying to repent. And I used to tell my students, okay, if you're, if you're repenting over and over and over again of the same sins, if you feel like your, your, spin, your, your wheels are, are spiritually spinning and you're mm-hmm. not getting any traction spiritually, I think without exception I can tell you your problem. It's not that you're not repenting. It's that you lack adequate faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his atonement. Now, honestly, that cannot be skipped, mm-hmm. or uh, we, we can't be cheap in our grace by just going to repentance. We have to pay the price to obtain the power of faith, not, not, not just a faith of belief, but the faith of power, where we have a testimony and we can see with an eye of faith what Christ has done for us. When an individual has that level of faith in Christ and his atonement, well, you, then you really do experience speed, speedily repenting. Yeah. And, and I think it's a, a point of doctrine that uh, we don't talk enough about when, and we don't associate it enough or strongly enough with repentance. Yeah. And um, before we wrap up, let me ask maybe a follow-up question on that, that, you know, because this concept of, of faith can seem abstract as well, like, you know, like how, what do I do? I get in the faith machine and do the faith thing. And so we default to behaviors. Well, I read your scriptures, go to church. Like, um, like what does that mean? Like if someone asks you, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna focus on faith in Jesus Christ this late week. Like what what advice do you have for me to do that? Okay, so, so the lectures on faith are amazing. You know, given in the School of Prophets, Kirtland, Ohio, 1833. And I really love them, and they're, they're really great. And there are three qualifications, or uh, I hate calling them steps, because it must be required to really exercise the faith of the ancients and to have the power of faith that I think is required to really repent and know you're forgiven and to be redeemed, ultimately. Uh, and the, the lectures on faith spell these out. Number one that we believe in God, that we have an idea that He exists. Mm-hmm. That in the case of repentance and forgiveness, that we have an idea and that we learn about the atonement of Jesus Christ. We, we know at least the basics, right? That He, that he suffered in Gethsemane and that, uh, that He suffered on the cross for our sins. And, and we have an idea about these things. We learn of these things. Okay, that's number one. Number two, that we know the character, perfections, and attributes of Jesus Christ or the Father. But in the case of repentance, we know the character, perfections, and attributes of Jesus Christ. So this is where, this is where it gets a little painful, actually. It causes a broken heart, contrite spirit, godly sorrow, is when you know what Jesus Christ suffered. You, you know his endurance. You know his love. You know that, that he never 
he never dawned, as uh, Elder Callis puts it, uh, Callister puts it in Infinite Atonement. Mm-hmm. He never donned the bulletproof vest of godhood. Mm. He felt all of our sins, that he had yeah. the character, the attributes, and the perfections to suffer all of that. And, and, and when you really begin to understand that, the character of Christ, and you begin to feel the love of Christ, your faith grows. Yeah. And then ultimately, and this is the hard one, number three, you know that the course of life that you are pursuing is pleasing and according to the will of God. Ultimately, to have the, the faith of power we we need to know that we're moving in the right direction and that uh, it's not faith is not getting what we want faith is coming to know the will of god and seek to carry it out yeah surrender right yeah that's that's ultimately faith yeah love that man I, and that's like a 10 podcast series uh, to answer that question, but you did such a great job in that. And I think that's a great place to start. And if people want to jump in and, and really applying faith, because I think we do, it kind of seems abstract sometimes, right? Just yeah. need to keep doing the things. And then we get in the mode of like, oh, I think I'm earning it. Yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do is earn it. Like, no, 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 no. That's not what we're saying. It's right. a gift. Ultimately, it's a gift of the spirit. Yeah. And it's a choice. Yeah. I Elder Anderson writes that faith is a choice, but ultimately a gift of the spirit. We can't earn it. We can only qualify to receive the gift by those three uh, steps that I described. Awesome. Well, David, uh, I'm so glad I found you. We did it. I yeah, thank <laughs> I you, Scratch Kurt. off my list, so, but I'd love to have you back and thank explore you. things. And if people do want to explore uh, more of these concepts and listen to you and your perspective, uh, what name of the podcast, Yeah, they can uh, find it where they're listening to this. Uh, it's, if they just Google or whatever, Durfee and Redeemed, I think it'll come up. Yeah. But the, the title of the podcast is Redeemed Through His Blood. Yeah, And it's basically the... 14-week course that I that I used to teach and and so we'll teach all of that and then we'll have individuals who will interview as well who have experienced the the miracle and gift of forgiveness in their life. Awesome. And of course, we'll give another shout out to Elder Anderson. His book is widely available, The Divine Gift of Forgiveness. And then be sure this, I just discovered this, you showed me this. I didn't know that that Institute class was actually in my phone in the Gospel Library app. If you just search for The Divine Gift of Forgiveness, it'll pop up there in 14 weeks and dive in. And Anybody and it, could go through that, yeah. just independent. They don't even have to have a teacher. They can just do a, yeah, I love it. you know, a... a, a independent study of it cool all right last question i have for you is as you reflect on your own personal journey with leadership and being a leader how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of jesus christ oh wow well i'd probably like to reverse that and say how has being a follower of jesus christ Mm -hmm. made me a better leader because i think that's that's really the key to being a great leader yeah is being a better follower and uh, I, I just want to express my gratitude for Jesus Christ and his atonement in my own personal life. I think the reason this has been so important for me over the course of my life is that I know that repentance and forgiveness is a process, but I, I have experienced the event in my life of receiving Christ, of accepting him and his atonement in my life as a young missionary. 
I was about a year in my mission, and I still felt like I should go home hmm. because I didn't feel worthy to be there. But, uh, and we didn't talk about this aspect of repentance either today, but uh, like Enos, I cried out. Uh, ultimately, we have to cry out. And I cried out, and I received remission of my sins. And I knew that it was through Christ and his atonement. So I know that he's done that for me personally, and it has been an unbelievable blessing for me to witness so many uh, members of the church uh, as a priesthood leader, witnessing and helping, seeking to help them, mentor them through the repentance process has been so sweet. And maybe the sweetest of all is helping my own children. Hmm you know, to, to understand that. And again, I, I repeat, if we don't do a better under, a job of teaching the atonement of Jesus Christ than we do teaching the commandments, we're going to become really discouraged because we're not going to keep all the commandments, neither are our children and those who we lead. So I think as a leader, I have to follow first. And, uh, and I do that best by, by following Jesus Christ and, uh, and uh, exercising faith unto repentance through, through, through Him and His atonement. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. We'd love to hear from you about your questions or thoughts or comments. You can either leave a comment on the uh, post related to this episode at leadingsaints.org or go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and send us your perspective or questions. If there's other episodes or topics you'd like to hear on the Leading Saints podcast, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and share with us the information there. And we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. Remember to access the Questioning Saints Library for 14 days. Visit leadingsaints.org slash 14. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.